my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Bavarian Crepes Day, Joe. Uh, very smart of you to say crepes and not craps, because I was waiting to jump all over your craps. See, you got the joke in anyway, even though I said it correctly. Coming up on today's show, we know it's a poker podcast. We like movies and TV. Usually we cover a little bit every week, but we've been so busy with stupid poker, we haven't had the chance to talk about it at all. So, what we have done, I I honestly can't even believe we're doing this. We are colliding worlds, and we have gotten one of the greatest poker players of all time to come on our poker podcast to talk about movies and TV. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous and also hilarious. Hilarious. Just wait till you hear the kinds of shit Phil's into. It is obscure. (laughs) That's right. Phil Gelfond is on the show today to talk to us about some of the stuff he has watched over the last year. Uh, Maybe a little bit about some poker stuff, too, because I'm genuinely curious to ask Phil a couple of poker questions. Of course. But mostly movies and TV. And uh, all right, well, and I guess a little sport being thrown in there as well. Uh, this week's super fan is Thomas Taylor Hall, and he has challenged me to trivia on F1. Um, I'm being told it's F1 since the year 2010, and honestly, I don't know why that would make a difference. Well, there was a rumor anything. going around that your knowledge of Formula One in the kind of like early 2000s was really strong, so Tom clearly <laughs> wanted to put himself in advantage by talking about the sport when you moved on to other things. If the questions are anything other than how many tires are on the car, I'm telling you now, I'm in big, big trouble. Uh, there were, there was some poker news this week with Charlie Carroll offering some kind of $100,000 bet on a cash game challenge. He issued some sort of challenge. I didn't quite understand it. So one of the things I'm going to ask Phil is that maybe he can explain this to explain that to us later. I'm going to uh, say movies and TV. If he can't understand it, if he can't explain it, then no one can. Exactly. Um, The other poker thing I want to talk about before we get into it is a reminder that the Sunday Million Anniversary is taking place this weekend, caveated by the fact that it's this weekend. If you're listening to the podcast in the first two days that it comes out, the 17th (laughs) anniversary is on Sunday, the 26th of March. Now, at least this weekend, by the time we get to Sunday, everyone's back in sync again as far as daylight savings is concerned. So, 105 Eastern, which is when this tournament starts, will be 605 in the UK, 705 in Central Europe. And for the anniversary, the Sunday Million goes traditional-ish. $215 buy-in, big guarantee because it's the anniversary, $7.5 million. Not a PKO, but up to five re-entries allowed. And because this is a big one, with a huge guarantee, it is a three-day rather than a two-day tournament. And registration is going to be open until the start of play on Monday on day two. And I think it's fair to say that satellites will run up to that point. That means we will be streaming on Tuesday rather than Monday. Now, the first thing I should say, I'm sure you guys have noticed, Nick Walsh has pretty much taken over the reins as far as Monday night, Sunday million streams are concerned. Thank you, Nick. Nick is going to be part of our broadcast on Tuesday the 28th. But yes, Joe and I are going to dust off our shirts. We're going to fire up the PokerStars Arena. And yes, we will be bringing you Cards Up coverage on Twitch and YouTube of the final day of a tournament where the winner is guaranteed to get at least one million 
$5. So I think that's going to be 6.30 UK, 7.30 Central European time, Tuesday the 28th of March, as we stream the final day of the Sunday Million anniversary. It'll be nice to do the Sunday Million with a million dollar guaranteed to first. We'll have those people popping in the chat being like, oh, I remember when this used to pay a million for first. No, you don't. No, you don't. But you can. <laughs> but you can this coming Tuesday. Uh, one post from Discord that I missed last week, and of course we've got various channels on the Pokestars Discord server. There is a link in the podcast description. It was T Ruxpin 2004 who pointed out, been seeing the trailers for John Wick 4, and it seems there is a gambling slash poker scene in there. Has anyone seen this in the trailers so far? I have not seen the trailer, Joe. Have you? I have not seen the trailer either because uh, typically if it's a movie I know I'm going to see regardless, I won't watch the trailer online. Yes, if I'm in the theater, I'll have to sit through it. And I'm genuinely, I like trailers in the theater. It's a little bit of a... But if I know I'm going to see the movie, I don't watch the trailer because I don't want to see anything. I would rather have it all revealed in the actual film. I am supposed to see it this weekend. The movie oh, cool. itself opens here. Yeah. It's a film I would see anyway. If we can also somehow tenuously make it a poker movie Monday, then I will absolutely go to the effort of seeing it at the cinema. I like the John Wick movies anyway. I'll probably end up going to the cinema. Um, by the way, on the subject of poker movie Mondays, we still need to do Michael Flatley's Blackbird. And also, Joe, I know that we have had a couple of conversations about revisiting Lucky You with someone who is in the movie. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was thinking that we could do Blackbird and Lucky You, like a double episode. Because we've already done Lucky You, but it yes. feels like we haven't. I know that you said we did it years ago. It feels Six like years it was, ago. It was pre... Was it pre-Poker Movie Monday, or was it still... No, no. We did oh. a double bill. Uh, bad Poker Movies. We did Lucky You and Deal, the one with Burt okay. Reynolds. Maybe that's why I don't remember Lucky You as much. So, um, yeah, Matt Savage, who, uh, who we've gotten even more friendly with over the year, listens to the show... Every single time we put out an episode, I said, hey, what if we have you on as a guest? We can chat you up a little bit about Lucky You, especially now that I've had the benefit of being a poker consultant. I want to know what Matt did and what, you know, I know Matt's, I think his bit about Lucky You being a great movie is kind of like some of my bits. Uh, I'm not going to say which ones, but just the ones where you sort of deny reality. Um, and so I would like to actually speak with him. I have no interest in cornering him into saying Lucky You is not a good movie, but I want to know what his experience was like on set, having done it myself and having been terrified every day of that shoot. I want to know if he went through the same shit. Well, look, we've already gone down the avenue of talking about pop culture, so let's get straight to it. Let's introduce this week's guest. From crushing high stakes online to winning World Series of Poker bracelets to launching a training site to owning and running his own poker site... There is very little this man has not done slash achieved in this slightly ridiculous industry. Phil Galfond, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, James. Happy to be here. Hey, Phil, you faded jury duty, huh? We, we told I everybody did. that you might have jury duty. I did. I can't, I can't believe it's my first time. You were, I mean, before we hopped on, you were saying you keep getting it, getting called in. My brother-in-law was saying he gets called in all the time. It's literally never happened before. Yeah, I don't know what causes you to pop up more often. I don't know if it's if it's behavior or just uh, you know they they. I think in my case they know I owe <laughs> civ some sort of more civic duty than other people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Phil, 
Is it not possible this is totally random and sometimes they end up kind of just going with the same people again and again because it's easier? You're like, this guy deserves it. They just hit my name again. <gasps> I objectively run good. So that's probably all it is. I've always appreciated that about you, that you've admitted that. Let's, t- let's t- talk poker just a little bit before we get into movies and TV. Um, it seems like, uh, and much to the delight of the poker world, we're getting a bit of a Phil Galfon renaissance um, over the last, I don't know if it's a year or how long it's been now. Um, would we call this Phil 2.0, 3.0, of, of, of a later version than that? Just just to be clear, when you say a renaissance, it implies that somehow kind of Phil dropped off the scene or disappeared or in some way became irrelevant. Well, some yeah, basically. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I stopped playing. So there, there, you could be speaking of two different things. I stopped playing for a while because I was working on Run It Once so much. And then I started playing again with the start of the Galfon challenges, which you were a part of, Joe. Um, and that started, I guess, three years ago. And then in the last, just in the last four months or so, I've made a very concerted effort to be more active on social media, um, after making a bet about it, because basically it was kind of a long story short. It's one of those things that over the years, I mean, like I should really put more effort into my social media and then you never, ever do, or I do for like two days and then I stop. So eventually, um, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to make a bet so that I have to do this or, or have to do this or lose money and, um, and then go for it. And so I spent, um, the last few months like really focused on it, trying to learn and, and create more content all around. I kind of figured there had to be a financial incentive behind it. Cause why would anyone choose <laughs> to spend more time on social media? Yeah. I mean, the bet itself well, I ended up, I lost the bet actually. Um, is this the bet it, with hoodie? No. So he, he and I, he wanted to challenge himself in the same way, but I actually made the bet with uh, Blake Eastman. Okay. And, um, and hoodie and I talk sometimes and he, he liked the idea. And so he wanted to do it too, except then he kind of hit his social media goals in like one week. So then he was, <laughs> by the way, this is hoodie Allen. I think we started yeah. off with a million followers before uh, any sort of, social media challenge the yeah rapper. yeah so my challenge was to get forty thousand more followers across all platforms in three months and i think and he wanted to do the same and i think he just did it instantly so he started <laughs> making more music lately and then yeah it was very easy but um no for me i didn't reach my goal i got like three quarters of the way there and it was not so much the incentive of the bet it's more that you know for, i've had a poker training site for a decade i've had the poker site, which is currently not active, but will be once again in the US. And I feel like I've always felt like I've been kind of a an irresponsible ambassador in that I don't kind of pick up the low hanging fruit of just putting some content out there at any kind of regularity. And I felt like I looked at everybody else who runs a training site or is the face of like some of the bigger, a face of any poker site really. And they were all better at this than me. And I was just like, I, I really, I don't really know, you know, you know that, that theoretically there's going to be financial incentive. You know that it's going to lead to more people learning about run at once and sign. I have no idea how to measure that. Um, but I just knew that I was, I just felt like I wasn't doing my job. So now that you have put this uh, social media blitz forward, mm-hmm. um, how do you feel about the putting yourself out there more? How, 
Because, look, I've seen you do some really hilarious stuff. I've seen you do some very thought-provoking stuff as usual. Sometimes I can't tell the difference between which one you're doing. And I know when I do that, I am very frustrated that people can't tell the difference. So I just want to find out what your personal gratification level has been other than seeing numbers go up. That's a good question. I... It went differently than I thought in that I actually ended up, so my favorite platform before, the one that I use the most is Twitter. And I basically am never, almost never used Instagram, was not on YouTube much. I started making YouTube videos a year and a half or, or so ago, but not didn't put much time and energy into it. But I, I liked to use Twitter uh, for, I don't know, a decade plus probably, yeah. Um, I can I relate. Up, I ended up not liking, I mean, I already knew that Twitter was a negative, uh, like part of my life, but I thought I would like the, the content game there more. And I do think it comes more naturally to me than the other platforms. But the problem with that compared to, especially YouTube is like what works. And I actually, this is the opposite of what I thought. What works on Twitter the best is stuff that like, I really feel like is valueless, um, entirely empty, empty platitudes. And repeating the same ones again and again yeah. and again. Um, <laughs> and like on YouTube, obviously there's the clickbaity stuff that I'm a little uncomfortable with. And there's, you know, you got to be higher energy than I am. You have to be faster. But what does the best is actually like, I don't know, in, a, in more of a long form setting, you can really teach valuable things, yeah. even if you have to put some of that window dressing on it. And so I actually have found making YouTube videos more rewarding and making the Twitter content. Like now I have to decide, I'm still deciding, you know, how much of the game do I play on Twitter versus how much do I just put out things that I want to yeah. put out. I mean, YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine owned by the world's biggest search engine. And you're right. There are people who are obviously making titles, thumbnails to try and grab attention, but there are a lot of people searching for stuff that is of utility that is going to teach them something they're going to learn something from and it is definitely a platform where you can make considered useful content yeah yeah i'm keen to know phil do you see yourself right here right now more as an industry figure or still as a poker player it's a great question i i I consider myself a poker player but i think if i were to look at the next 10 years well, I think I'm considered more of an industry figure. I also think that if I look in terms of incentives, like I guess just even just financial incentives, I think that I have more potential as an industry figure than as a poker player. Because as a poker player, I can only play, like the, the game options are not great right now for me. I don't even, like, like I would rather, I would mostly be playing if I had good options uh, to play, but it's hard to find action. It's hard to find consistent action, especially because I want to be here in, in Las Vegas uh, with my family. And um, so I, I think I see myself as someone who wants to be a poker player, but who is more of a, a figure in the industry. We got to get Phil some prosthetics so he can just like show up as Gil Falfond at, uh, at some <laughs> Vegas poker rooms and get a game. I assume it's because yeah. nobody wants to play with you, right? That's a big part of it. I mean, it's it's not even just me. <laughs> it's not just so online heads up challenges. Yes, those are those are difficult because of that, but also because I'm here. Um, so that's part of it. And then li- the live poker scene has just gone private um, at high stakes almost entirely. And so it's I mean, it's it, I don't have an option, but a lot of people don't uh, as well. 
All right, one last question about poker stuff before we get into movies and TV. You are often invoked uh, to settle disputes in the poker world, and I'm sure you're invoked way more often than even I see. There's probably people that are trying to get you to settle. the, the for, So what is your bar for getting involved, and do you ever get tired of it? Like, Do you ever get tired of being like, guys, I, I don't want to be in the middle of this. I, I, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I never really want to be. I had this experience once with, or with Ike because I actually asked him to arbitrate something and he was like all right i'll do it for you but i'm sick of this Um, (laughs) and i i I kind of feel that way i mean yeah it's not fun as long as it's every once in a while and it's i don't know people that i respect uh, and and something like a legitimate issue that i care about i'm i'm cool with it but it's i'm not out i'm not looking i'm not looking for more opportunities all right, and having said that, I was going to have you explain the Charlie Carroll challenge that was just issued, but whatever. I, I could do that. Can you, all right, go, please. Thank you. So, so the one you're talking about, he, he tweeted recently, he wants to bet that he can win at five big blinds per hundred. At, um, I think it's over 100,000 hands of 200. What does that mean, five big blinds per 100? So he's pl- if he's playing 200, no limit, that means $1, $2 blinds. Okay. Um, every hundred hands, he needs to make ten dollars on average because that's five big blinds per one hundred hands. Over okay, over a uh, over a hundred thousand. So the hundred thousand is there to kind of prove that, well, to reduce variance. Like I can do right. this, or you know, this is what I think I can win at. Um, yeah. And, and so he's ch- and you, so he's taking a hundred thousand dollar bet from various people that he can achieve this goal. Yeah. Yeah, and he he goes on to talk about pre-rake win rates and post and rake back related win rates. That, but but the bottom line is, I think it was five big blinds. I want to say post rake before rake back. I don't know if it includes rake back or not. Basically, I think it was supposed to be after rake back. Okay, after rake back. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, And do you think that Charlie is a favorite in this? I'm not super familiar with the. I mean, I know the game quality is pretty good. I'm not sure about the rake levels, but I do think generally when people when people believe that some some others who have been out of the game or play, like I don't play no limit hold'em, and sometimes people will be like, "Well, you but you know these you couldn't go back and beat 500 zoom no limit because that's like really tough and it is tough, but the same skills that that work in all of poker it's still poker. And I would have to, I would have to have a learning curve, but I would still learn to do it. And so I think he's capable of being very good at those stakes. Does that mean five big blinds per hundred? I don't really know. Probably if he thinks so, um, but I'm not sure. All right. Thank you for explaining that, Phil. Let's yeah, talk no movies and TV. Um, yeah. You have some pretty distinct taste uh, as we were, <laughs> as we were talking to you about like, what kinds of things could we discuss as a trio and You watch the kind of stuff my mom would watch when I was a kid. Now, I'm not completely mocking because I am kind of into that stuff now. But when you were like, you watch procedurals, I was like, okay, great. This is probably something. There were three things I had literally never heard of. Um, So what 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 draws you to that stuff, and so what is it about it? Those. So generally, when I like to watch TV, I like to, I like to, 
I watch TV kind of to stop thinking, but but in order to stop thinking, I have to be thinking about what's going on. Okay, and I guess enough. I'm always a sucker for a mystery of some kind. I'm I struggle to watch comedy. Interesting. In, unless there's like I struggle to watch pure comedy. I need like I need to want to know what's going to basically I need a show that when you're done with the episode, you want to see the next episode. Believe it or not, I'm the same. I, yeah. I don't like as far as like pure comedies, as long as if it's a classic I've already seen, I can rewatch those episodes. But like, I agree with you, like I'm more drawn to dramedy or, um, you know, or something with like a darker sort of overarching story to it. than like I don't like sit down and watch like that 90s show ever. Um, it just never really feels that appealing to me. I need yeah. to know what the stuff is that Phil's recommending that you've never heard of. Uh, I'm I'm I fear that if you don't know it, I'm going to have no idea. Well, they are the ones that I mentioned to you are more. I think they're they're maybe all British. Oh God! So this is where <laughs> I should know it, but I'm yeah, going yeah. to show that I watch very little British TV. My familiarity with like Hulu and HBO content is much better than it will be what's on ITV or BBC right now. Yeah. yeah, so he told me something called Vienna Blood, which apparently is in its third season. Never heard of it. it uh, uh, so, so that's like a... Um, the way that I'd sum it up, it's, I mean, it's kind of like a feel of like a, a poor man's uh, Sherlock. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you You're like really Sherlock. Selling it. Which, which, I love well, Sherlock. I really, I really, Sherlock yeah, I great. Love, yeah. I mean, Sherlock, I, I think, is excellent. So um, it's not as good as that, but... It's essentially, uh, it's another one of those like consultants, but this is set in, I'm not going to know the year, um, pre-World War II um, uh, Vienna, Austria. And there's a, basically, a, a neuro he's studying uh, neurology in school, but he, but uh, recently uh, uh, Sigmund Freud has become starting to get popular and he right. follows... He's a big fan of Sigmund Freud. He's gone and seen him speak. And so he's kind of one of the first psychologists that is trying to. He's, he's a profiler. He's, in he's a profiler, like, but when there were no profile, when, when it's like, like we've seen shows, you know, you see shows on TV in the U.S. where there's a profiler in the, in the like two, 2010s and the cops are like, oh, this is nonsense. But this is like, right. really, everybody's like, this doesn't make any sense. So it's, it's just that. And he consults, uh, yeah, with a cop. And is it a different murder every episode, or is it uh, one murder? They, it's per weird. Season? The, the seasons are six episodes, and every murder is two episodes long. Interesting. Oh, okay. All right. So that's I, I could get through that. It's like a yeah. like a Luther kind of thing. Yeah, um, I love Luther, by the way. I haven't finished the latest season of Luther. Now there's the movie to watch, so I'm a little behind on Luther. Um, what? So, all right. So Phil's next recommendation was something called CB Strike, also a period procedural. No, it's it's. I think it's set in modern day, but another <laughs> procedural. These cases are season long, though. Okay. Um, and he's a he's not a cop. He's a private detective. And th what country is this in? England. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> Again, I'm afraid I'm not. I think so. It. All right. We're going to move on to the things that I've seen that Phil also like. Phil uh, recommended a show called Blackbird on Apple TV. And again, and this is where we have to be clear that this is not the Michael Flatley movie. 
Correct. This is Taron Edgerton, yoked as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe just as wearing the tightest shirts possible just to show off how ripped he... I don't think he got ripped for this in particular. Um, I think there's some superhero thing coming up that he's big for. But um, I I also really enjoy this film. But So I have this joke I do in my act now about streaming TV, and that joke is that this TV show should have been a movie, and this movie should have been nothing. Because all of the shows on these things are way too long. Like, this was, like, eight mm-hmm. episodes or something Blackbird was, and it should have been, like, three tops. I agree with that. That's fair. You'll you'll find, probably, as we keep talking, that I kind of, uh, I kind of give everything a pass. Like, I watch, <laughs> I, like, even the shows I said are, I watch much worse shows than those, than just... Just like, I don't think they're good, but I just watch to, to zone out. So I give most things a pass. I agree with that critique, but I thought it was really, um, I don't know. I thought the acting was really compelling and the, and the story, like the, the tension throughout was palpable. I agree with that, James. So the second lead in the show is a guy that we should all know his name. Cause he basically steals the show and everything. And I can, everything I think we have in. this. Yeah, we have the same management. I can't remember his fucking name, but he's the guy who played Jeff Galuli in the Tanya Harding movie. Do you remember him? He just like absolutely steals the show in that movie. He, That's, um, he's the best in that movie. Anyway, I can I picture his face. His I can picture yeah. his face. Um, okay, so then I watched something specifically based on Phil's recommendation because it was in season one. It was six episodes, and Phil recommended something called uh, Magpie Murders, this or sounds, is it the Magpie Murders in the show? This sounds suspiciously like Midsummer Murders. I didn't see Midsummer Murders. I think this is this is based on a book. I think. Yes. Well, this also is like in a, a yeah. It's a mini series based on a book about an author who writes mysteries, and uh, it jumps back and forth. And the author is murdered, and it jumps back and forth from the murder in the book to the murder Ooh. in the in the real life. Now present this sounds day. quite interesting. Two it mysteries, is, yeah, yeah. So I will say, for me, it took me a while to get into this. Um, I found it quite jarring because they use the same actors to play the people in the book as are playing the people in real life, and I found that to be kind of confusing and distracting at first. But I thought that the the ending to this was way stronger than I expected. Um, and and I thought that I had it figured out pretty early on, and I didn't. And I really did appreciate um, how complex it was by the end. That's I, I mean, again, I agree. But yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I enjoy all the shows like this. And so at the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is fun. But it really paid off for me. Yeah. I, I just get really bad feel James, so at the beginning of this, when you watch it, at least here in America, I had to, I had to buy this off Amazon, but it's like from PBS. So at the beginning of the show, it tells you like all of the grants that made the show possible. Oh, wow. And I, I just remember as a kid, that being like the warning sign, like you are not going to like what you're about okay. to see from public television. Because you guys have good this public cereal television. This is sugar-free and good for you. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. what it felt like. But it was was quite interesting. All right, Phil. So what, last thing for just me and you to talk about, and I'll let you go on this one. I just have one question. So Peacemaker uh, yeah. is a show that I started and I liked. And then just I got to be clear, really, this yes. is a spinoff from the Suicide Squad movie, not yes. the original Suicide Squad movie, but the second one, which was part sequel, part reboot. The Suicide Squad, yes. Right. 
Uh, so John Cena's character, they made a spinoff TV show that obviously like the first episode, it's like pretty different and delightful and like funny and violent. And then by like the second or third episode, I got really sick of it. And I, I walked away for like six months yeah. um, and then came back and finished it. I'm glad I did. But my question for you is, and I don't, I, I, I ask with all due respect, does the female lead on the show look distractingly like your wife? I didn't find that now. I, I mean, obviously, you know her much better than I do. The whole time so. I'm watching, I'm like, is this Farah in this show? Like, is did she low-key do this and no one picked up on it? Like, I, I found her to look in, a lot like your wife, um, and, and in a good now. way, because I, I enjoy both of those actresses. Yeah, no, I didn't. I need to look back. I guess I guess because <laughs> I see Farah every day, it's more uh, clear when somebody's not her. It's an important <laughs> skill to know when somebody's not my wife. And no, your, your, hold on, I want to hear Phil's thoughts on Peacemaker, though, and then we can uh, we can move on. I mean, on. yeah, it was fun. First of all, one thing you should know about me is I I can't if I start a show, I have to finish it. I can't walk away, even if I don't oh, like it. Oh, interesting. Um, and so I mean, I thought it was fun. I was it was not like a I didn't feel super compelled to keep going, but it was fun. I I mean, I think it was pretty good. It was more it's more fun than I generally want. Um, in, in the, in the, I'd like it to be a, like a little less lighthearted and more, uh, I don't know, more compelling. This is serious a, guys. Yeah, I'm a serious, yeah, I'm a serious yeah. person, but no, it was fun. I think the only, for me, I felt like, you know, a, I don't know how, what percentage, but a, what part of the comic relief was, um, vigilante. And I feel like half the stuff from him, I didn't like. A little too over the top. I agree. Mm -hmm. There are some moments that kind of ruined an otherwise sort of serious show. I'm with you on that one. So we're basically going to conclude this section with a series of movies and TV shows that all three of us have seen. Yes. But Joe, I know you've seen more than anyone else. In fact, when you sent through a provisional list <laughs> of all the movies and TV shows you've watched in recent months, I'm like, how? Seriously, there are not enough hours, days weeks in the year um so pick out some highlights or lowlights okay. real i'll just do some really quick things um i don't like to talk shit that much about movies anymore because they're hard to make but i will say just whether or not i i liked something so the whale was a very difficult watch i cried my eyes out by the end i'm really looking forward to talking about the ending for someone they get the chance cocaine bear i did not care for um it was too violent. Um, it, it was it had some weird tonal issues where it was like a hilarious comedy, and then also people like getting their limbs ripped off by a bear. Um, Knock at the cabin. I watched uh, recently. New M Night Shyamalan. As usual, I love M Night. The way he like really cares about filmmaking and the way he puts a, a movie together and the pacing of it just didn't think the story was all that strong. I mean, um, I can't think of any filmmaker in recent history who's delivered so many excellent films and at the same time so many absolutely abysmal movies. This one in my opinion is just okay. I didn't think okay. it was I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't think it was great. Um, real quick, Last of Us is fantastic. Party Down reboot, I'm really enjoying. Banshees of Inisherin didn't get it. Triangle of Sadness thought it was a masterpiece and Babylon, man James, I know you do not want to see this movie, but God, I really want you to so we can talk about it. I'm dying to talk about this movie. I with have not yet met a single person who has a positive thing to say about this movie. It has become the butt of every single joke in Hollywood. Um 
I'm sorry, but I'm not a huge fan of this filmmaker. You know I don't like La La Land. Um, I also thought First Man was a wasted opportunity, so I have no real desire to leap into this. I'm sure I will see it at some point, because eventually stuff comes on planes, right? And it was on a plane, by the way, that I started to watch Bullet Train, a movie which I did not finish. Have you any idea how bad a film has to be for me to be stuck on a 10-hour flight and not finish it? I, I thought Bullet Train was quite watchable. I didn't think it was good. I just thought it was it quite watchable. was so stuck in that era of 1998-2001 Guy Ritchie-style up-its-own-ass, aren't-we-clever filmmaking. Yes. Hated, hated, <laughs> hated it. Most of the other films I've seen have been really serious, so maybe they'd be good recommendations for you, Phil, if you like yeah. stuff that's serious. Very little humor in any of these movies. Um, I watched She Said, which is the film about the New York Times journalists who worked on the Harvey Weinstein story, uh, played by Zoe Kazan and Kerry Mulligan. Excellent, but hard watch. Yeah, As that. is Tar, which deals with similar themes. It's the movie where Kate Blanchett plays the conductor, which again is about someone in a position of power abusing that power. Um, the Sun, which I believe is the middle part of a anthology series. You might remember there was a film a few years back called The Father with Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins right, yeah. which he won the Oscar for, which I've also watched recently and bawled my eyes out during. And then I bawled my eyes out during The Sun because with Hugh Jackman and uh, Laura Dern, it's excellent, but again, a serious story, serious subject matter, and very, very moving. So let's segue in some fun stuff. <laughs> uh, a friend recommended a Netflix series called Call My Agent. Original title in French is 10%. It is a French comedy. Hear me out, people. <laughs> it is brilliant. The concept is it's about an agency in Paris which handles big movie stars, and every single episode features a real movie star um, oh. obviously in a fictional plot. It's really good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. So that was a great recommendation. Welcome to Chippendales on Disney+. Plus. You saw this one, right, Joe? I saw the first three episodes of this, and uh, I was into it. I, I, it's just, it's a very easy watch. It's really good. It's, um, Phil, you seem like you kind of might like some of these historical semi-comedy things that you like learn a little bit about the era, and then, no, he's, he's no. frowning. It's not his thing. No, I, I mean, usually, so the way you feel about the PBS intros uh, is kind of how I feel <laughs> about um, based on a true story. Okay, like, all if, right. If it's based on a true story, I don't know, the, the like level of this could go anywhere, even if I don't know the true story. I'm just, it feels too restrictive. I, I end up liking a lot of those movies, but l lower percentage. I do genuinely think that if you watch Welcome to Chippendales, you will start questioning whether they've taken massive artistic liberties because you'll be yeah. thinking, how on earth could this in any way be a true story? If anything, I think they've probably toned it down. Um, it's, it's, it's incredible um, and quite violent in places. Um, another Disney Plus show, which I think is Hulu in the States, Joe, The Bear, and I think we've yeah. touched on this one recently on an earlier podcast. I binge-watched this on a flight. It's... 30-minute episodes, I think there are eight of them. So basically, I just watched it as a four-hour movie, and I thought it was perfect. The Bear's very good, but it's a movie, right? Like, it really is a, a movie. I mean, maybe season two, they'll find another way. Phil, I see you. Not, did you catch any of The Bear? No, no. But okay. it sounds, it's, I mean, it, it, it's I, I don't even know what it's about yet, but it, it sounds positive. 
It's just a, it's it's about a, a, a like a chef in Chicago who um, uh, takes over the family business. He was working in a high food place in New York and ends up taking over like a like a Chicago beef, um, like a fast food restaurant basically. And it's it's really really great, very deep, very funny, very stressful, all of the above. The tenuous connection is that to poker is that the uh, the the character of the head chef once worked at Noma, which of course is the restaurant in Copenhagen that every single high roller tried to get a table at every time we had the EPT <laughs> in Copenhagen. Um, the last thing I want to talk about very quickly before we move on to the stuff that all of us have watched is the recent Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. We talked about the book of Boba Fett last year with um, when, when Sam Greenwood was on the show. Um, since then, we've had Andor, which I've now watched twice, and I think it's po- probably one of the best things that's been produced in the Disney era of Star Wars. And I do think that because Andor was so good, it's making me look unfavorably at the latest series of The Mandalorian, a show which I think has also been tainted by the fact that the book of Boba Fett was so bad and those characters were part of that. Um, I found it got off to a, a silly and not particularly interesting start. The second episode, I think, okay, maybe this series is finding its feet. And the most recent episode... I literally don't know what to think. I kind uh, of l- half like the fact that it went in a completely different direction and started focusing on two minor characters. And on the other hand, I'm like, what the hell is this? I have. I, I know that you've been pretty pissed off at the Mandalorian this season. I think it's fine. It has not bothered me. It hasn't okay. like nothing. There's like a couple of decisions that the characters make that you can tell they just like are forced into to advance the story, which I don't love. Um, like when uh, Mando ends up t- accepting that crappy droid that seemed really weird to me that he was like so intent and in having a different one and then just took that one. Uh, and even it's though it such bloody fan slip service. It's R5-D4. It's the one that goes wrong in the original trilogy. It's the R2 unit that Uncle Owen was originally going to take before its motivator blew. It's the exact same okay. robot. I, I have I the action really figure somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, yes, I agree with you. It. I'm liking it so far. I but for think the overall. it's because I literally rewatched Andor like in a few weeks ago. It's like that was so good and such a kind of adult focused, like yeah. old school Star Wars fan TV show. This one just feels like kind of like it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, moving on, Phil. I know that. We, do we have you for a couple more minutes? Is that okay? To yeah, get, I'm good. To get, okay, great. Thank you. Um, Time to talk about the stuff that all three of us seen. Phil, you're you're a Marvel guy, but explain to us to what level, to what degree of a Marvel guy you are. Well, what does that mean? I've watched so I in uh in November I got COVID and I caught up on everything Marvel that I hadn't seen yet, which I used I, and that wasn't that much, but actually they've come up with a lot of like new series and things like that. So, so I mean, but I I was not a Marvel guy before you know, the MCU came to their, all the movies. I was not, I was not like a comic book guy, but since then I've, I mean, I've watched everything and I like most of it a lot. Okay. So you've seen all, basically all of it. I mean, it's a lot to keep up with. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm like a near completist. I think I've seen everything except for the wolf, whatever that wolf thing is they put out. I I think that either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the most recent things that James and I wanted to talk about were uh, She Hulk and Wakanda Forever. Uh, I like I haven't gotten to Quantum Mania yet either. So, um, have, have were you able to ingest those two? Uh, Actually, things? no, I haven't seen Wakanda Forever. I saw I watched She Hulk. 
All right, well, let's so, talk She-Hulk then. The reason why I wanted to highlight She-Hulk is I do think, unfortunately, that what phase are we in now? Four, is it? I think that everything post-Endgame has been a bit meh. It's ranged from meh to bad. And She-Hulk, for me, was actually a personal highlight. And I know it's a very divisive show. Some people absolutely can't stand it. And do you know what? I get that. I actually loved it. It felt like a breath of fresh air. Phil? I, I liked it too. Um, I have I have one gripe with it, um, which was uh, the I think it's just the last episode breaking the fourth wall. It was done kind of well, but I just yeah. I really don't like that usually. But otherwise, I really yeah I really enjoyed it. It's not it's not the same as a lot of other Marvel stuff, but I I found it very enjoyable to watch. So, all right, so I'm kind of on the same page as both of you guys. I liked it very much, except for the last episode where they already break the fourth wall in the show quite a bit, right? Oh, Which you're right, that, yeah. That I could handle. For moments, and yeah. I right. believe, I, I, I did my research, like you, Phil, I'm not a, a comic fanboy, but apparently that is something that the character does in the comics. That sure. is very much a, a character trait they brought over to the TV show. And that all that I was fine with. And then the last episode, they just took it a little too far. They're just a little too cute. But do you know what? With they all of it. Almost, almost got away with it. It was like a little it bit was close. too clever, but it was so close. And I like, I'm gonna give them effort for trying, and I'm gonna give them effort for acknowledging some of the mistakes, flaws, and problems that this franchise has right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean look, it, it was I, all look, endings are hard. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to let it ruin the entire show because I didn't quite, I don't think they quite stuck that landing, but it was, they swung for the fences and, and came damn close. Agreed. Uh, qu- quickly, Wakanda Forever. It took me about seven attempts to get through this movie. Um, and when I finally did, I'm not going to lie, like the last hour of it, I was like on my phone the whole time. It was just like a lot of noise and explosions. And I don't, I don't really do that very often, but I was not invested in this movie at all. I agree 100%. It is, in a word, boring. <laughs> All right. Now, Phil, I want to hear what you have to say about uh, about The Menu. The Menu is a, a, a movie that got um, almost universally was well-reviewed and everyone I know liked it. But I'm curious to hear what you and James have to say, since this is one of the few that we've all seen. Yeah. No, I, I liked it. Uh, it was fun. It was uh, hit a little close to home. Um, oh, How? <laughs> No, I'm just uh, making fun of uh, me and my rich friends. But, oh, I see. <laughs> but it, it was, uh, but it was, yeah, it was good. I had, I, I actually have a, a question that I'm not sure is a gripe. Is like, because obviously a lot of it, a lot of the movie is, is making fun of things. And there's one element, which I guess I won't spoil too much, but there's like a, at the beginning, you can see that the the girl that he brings um, on the trip notices another person getting on the boat and there's like, it's clearly a big moment. Um, that just ended up not being paid off at all. And I don't know, was that a joke of like a genre? So she's a a working girl and I Mm -hmm. believe that he's a former client. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But like it was set up as something big was going to happen there. That's not that big. And then, and then I didn't care about their marriage, like the impact of that on that guy's marriage at all. Just felt like something more should have something more should have happened there. I, I yeah. think that your slight complaints about this movie are the larger complaints that I had about it, and that I do think there were a couple of things that they didn't pay off, or they didn't pay off very clearly. 
And even though I could kind of um, get behind this movie as a satire and as like a dark comedy, I kind of didn't buy it either. I didn't buy... Like, I understood that these people could all be his zealots, right? And that they would go along with what he said. But the the precision with which they carried out the non-cooking parts of this seemed like something that would have had to have been rehearsed hundreds of times. And it was very clear that this was a one-night-only kind of thing. So the whole reason for it all never really stuck with me. And to me, it felt a lot like a Resident Evil game but set in a restaurant, like when she's creeping around his house and like looking at magazine clippings and pulling on secret handles, I was like, "Oh, this is this is like Resident Evil, but but it, yeah. but a food version of it." It kind of went from being sinister to just implausibly over the top very very quickly. And as yeah. much as I really appreciated Ray Fiennes in this movie, the standout for me was Nicholas Holt's character, as despicable and as horrible as he was. And unfortunately. Spoiler alert, he does not make it to the last act of the movie. And the moment that his character is gone, I felt the movie dropped down a notch for me as far as how engaged I was and how interested I was. Yeah, it just kind of flailed from there. Like her her like little way that she wins in the end by asking for the burger, I thought was like kind of cute, but I didn't quite yeah. get it. But, it didn't... But- but this is a genre which is very in right now. I mean, I know you referenced Triangle of Sadness already, yeah. Joe. And of course, White Lotus, both seasons, season one and the most recent season. Again, this whole obsession with rich people and their problems is kind of like very much in vogue right now. Um, did you enjoy the most recent season of the White Lotus, Phil? I did. I, I mean, I like both seasons uh, quite a bit. I guess the second season was... Um, I think I found the first season more enjoyable of a watch, but I I felt like the second was compelling, emotionally compelling, and um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but I I, I felt like it was still very good, um, and I f- do feel like compared to I f- I feel like the menu is something very different in that, like White Lotus, it, yeah, you're sometimes laughing, you're you're it's funny how the way that some of these very rich people act, but you also, with the exception of maybe one or two characters, you, you, I feel like get to know them and, and can empathize with what they're going through, even if it's different. Yeah. 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 I felt like white Lotus season one had more to say, like more of had like more of a statement to be made. Uh, Whereas season two, I think that the, the sort of like, the, the journey that the characters go on is a little more interesting. You know, obviously they leave the resort and they there's there's more going on as far as like plots concerned. So I was yeah. a little bit more engaged in that respect, season two, but less engaged in like a overall like, ooh, this is saying interesting things. Yeah, and I guess Glass Onion falls into this category as well. And that's a movie which when I initially watched it, I quite enjoyed it. But the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. <laughs> Yeah, so my buddy said something super interesting about Glass Onion, and even though I loved it when I watched it, I sat there and like Christmas Day, I drank like half a bottle of whiskey, me and my dad watched it. It's very rare we find something the two of us can connect on, and he could connect you know, in the in the murder mystery part of it, and I'm just laughing my ass off at Elon Musk being roasted. Um, but what my, one of my friends uh, said to me was like, you can't write a movie that has a stupid plot um, and have it not be stupid. Like your move, like 
you're it's still it's still kind of bad even though like just because you draw attention to the fact that the plot is bad yes. doesn't mean your movie isn't bad and i was like you know what there's something to that yeah i mean i, I liked glass onion but i like i liked knives out a lot more yeah um, oh 100% and, yeah and but i still i'm a sucker for like your dad i'm a sucker for a mystery and they do that i mean the elements of mystery are still good so the last thing I wanted to recommend, Phil, if you haven't seen it, is Poker Face. I don't know if you've. I haven't. No, it I yet. keep. Uh, I I've been. I'm waiting on Farah. So a lot of she doesn't watch that much TV, but there are some shows that we watch together, and I want that to be one of them. So I haven't started because I'm waiting on Farah. It's really great. Um, the it, I'll tell you now. Unfortunately, they show you what the who did it at the beginning of the show. Like you Columbo. Watch. Like Columbo, yes. That was my only biggest drawback with Columbo. I fucking love Columbo. But it's like, man, just let, keep it a mystery to me too. I yeah. don't want to see who did it. Um, but it's still very enjoyable. And obviously it's Ryan Johnson of Glass Onion, of Knives Out. Same same uh, dude behind all that stuff. So, uh, Phil, I, I was going to, now we're, we've gone way over and I appreciate you being generous with your time. I, I knew we wouldn't have time for it, but usually I come up with a stupid game for our guests, and I just want to know how you would have done. I was going to give you like a TV detective game to make you guess like which TV detective did such and such and such and such. Would you have known Columbo, Kojak, um, Magnum PI, or would I have left you uh, twisting? No, in the I would have been in trouble because they're like okay. I, I didn't watch those. It was I'm I'm more uh, they're they're before my obsession with mystery. Got it. So, okay. So just to be clear, you faded. Joe's dumb game. You faded <laughs> jury service. You continue to run good in every single facet Everything. of your life. Um, Phil, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and really appreciate you giving up your time today. Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure talking to you both. Obviously great to spend time in the company of the legend that is Phil Galfond. Equally nice to spend time in the company of this week's superfan. Tom Taylor Hall, welcome to the show. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thomas Taylor Hall, that was the name of the dorm I lived in in, uh, in college. Thomas Taylor Hall right next to... Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. You've heard all the jokes. Hey, I see you have a bowling pin behind you. Are you a bowler? <laughs> no, just random stuff from my, uh, my collection. I've, I've been every now and then and... Last time I went, they were giving away free old ones. So you know what? So I take one. Tell us about your your collection. Are you a collector? <laughs> no, no, just just random stuff that I come across. <laughs> well, what what is your deal, Tom? Uh, yeah, I'm a, a software engineer living in London. Oh uh, my god, he's IT related. <laughs> what is it with this segment of the show? What is it with our fan base? Look, if we you know did what? this show a hundred years ago, everyone would be a fucking coal miner or something. It's just the way of the world now. People work. You ever heard of computers? People work with them. <laughs> I felt really guilty after the last couple of episodes coming on. Yeah. Oh no, another software engineer. Yeah. Um, it, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> it doesn't bother me none. <laughs> yeah, living in London. Um, went to uni here. I've lived here for about. 10 years now, um, spend my time playing a little bit of poker, uh, playing a little bit of squash, traveling around the world, eating and drinking in London, you know, the classic stuff. Well, this sounds That's like a awesome. good life to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't complain. Is this Are playing you... poker live in the card rooms of London or playing poker online? I get my monthly craving to go down the Hippodrome uh, every now and then. And then, uh, yeah, so play there, you know, maybe 10 times a year. Um, 
been to Vegas once to play. I'm going in October. Nice. Um, and then mostly, mostly online. Um, I'm very much the casual audience for poker. Pick it up uh, when I can. Bit of Zoom. Um, yeah, that's Fantastic. our bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to give you the opportunity to play poker this coming weekend because we've got a $215 Sunday Million Anniversary ticket up for grabs. That does mean that you would have to beat Joe Stapleton in a quiz on a subject he knows literally nothing about, which is Formula One, specifically since 2010. So I'm assuming that your kind of knowledge of the sport is from recent years when you've been into it. Personally, yes. Um, I probably could go back a little bit, but I thought, um, given it's becoming a little bit more popular in the US, uh, there's a Vegas race this year, for example. Yes. Um, I, I thought that it may be a, a bit better to do some more recent stuff. Um, maybe not. We'll see. So when you said you're going to Vegas in the autumn, is that to see the Grand Prix there? I wish it was. I don't know if you have seen any uh, anything about the massive price hikes they are doing like it's something like 200 times the regular price for a really crappy hotel room for the weekend so you, no, you might be one of the work. world's best software engineers you might be making <laughs> bank it might be you know pocket change to you but yes i am aware of the fact the hotel rooms are exceedingly expensive during that time um yes. so joe I, I i wish you luck my friend um because i'm assuming that your knowledge is very very limited on this subject i think that very limited i would take the under on that <laughs> okay, let's see if you know more about Formula One than you do about Duran Duran. Uh, we start, as always, with you, Tom. You're our guest. You're our super fan. So please give me a number between one and ten. Always coming seven. Always coming seven. Which company is the current supplier of tyres in Formula One? That would be Pirelli. Pirelli for the full two points, and you get the bonus question as well. What colour are Pirelli's soft compound tyres? Black and red. Correct for the bonus point. Whoa, Tommy. Okay, Joe, what do you feel like? That's weird that they only have one. You're only allowed to use one brand of tires. All the cars have to use the same ones. There used to be a tire war. Uh, yeah. Not anymore. There's a, there's a single supplier now. Yeah. I like a tire war better. Uh, question number two, because I'm going to be dropping a deuce. Okay, what is the opening race in the current Formula One schedule? So the season always begins in... Multiple choice options are available. I'll take the choices. Okay, is the opening race the Bahrain Grand Prix, the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix, the Monaco Grand Prix, or the British Grand Prix? I feel like Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, I'm supposed to be narrowing it down to those two. I've never heard of Bahrain Grand Prix before. It seems like nor they would start it in Britain maybe, right? Because it's like, that's where probably a lot of the people are from. Just I'm going to go... I'm gonna go with, all I can do here is talk it out. I got no, I got no right answers. Uh, I'm going to go with Bahrain. You're right to go Bahrain. You get a point. You're on the board. Woo! Second Focus. round. Uh, any Anything other than seven deuce? We'll go with three. Since 2010, who has won the most Formula One races, excluding Lewis Hamilton? Will I go for a guess? You can take the multiple choice options if you would prefer. Since 2010? Since 2010, who has the most Formula One race wins, excluding Lewis Hamilton? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, even if I took the choices, I think it's going to be one of two. Let's go with uh, 
Sebastian Vettel. It is Sebastian Vettel for two points. Wow. Gambles no, and he wins. No choice, Tom. <laughs> Joe. Uh, question number the highest. The highest number available is number 10. Yes. At which... this You're guaranteed two points, my friend. At which Formula One racetrack would you find the Fairmont hairpin? Hey, that's the Monaco Grand Prix. It is. And now you have three points. Good question Ooh. selection. You're running nice. good. Nice. Nice. Uh, you still have a two-point advantage if you go into the next round, Tom. Uh, where are we got? One, four, five, six, eight, or nine? Nine. Number nine. Okay, you've now had two questions with a bonus. So, Joe, I'm going to make sure you now get two questions with a bonus so it all balances out. This is a nice easy one. What animal is on the Ferrari logo? A horse. A it is a horse. horse. For two points. Spirit bonus of the horse. question. Name the two <laughs> current Ferrari drivers. That is Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. Correct for the bonus point. Right, Joe, the first bonus question for you is question number one. Which car manufacturer did Lewis Hamilton drive for before Mercedes? And I'm going to give you a clue. They're based in Woking in Surrey. All right, I'm going to guess. Wait. Do you want to take the multiple choice options? Jesus Christ. I, uh, I used to work for them. I did an internship with them. Do you, they're based in Woking in Surrey. I mean, I've, it's either Rolls-Royce or... Or Jaguar. Okay, so let me tell you that neither of those is one of the options. Right, I'll take so, my choices. Okay, is it Aston Martin, McLaren, uh, Red Bull, or Ferrari? Aston Martin. No, it was McLaren, but I'm still going to give you the bonus question because I'm just feeling sorry for you now. What <laughs> car number does Lewis Hamilton currently drive? Number three. No, it's number 44. <laughs> I thought if four, I said it confidently, it would get through. <laughs> four, six, or eight, Tom, because Joe's going to get question five next. Four. What nationality is former starting grid driver Daniel Ricciardo? He is Australian. He is for two points. So, Joe, you get question five because this is the other question with a bonus. Yeah. In what year did Max Verstappen win his first ever Formula One race? All right, well, it has to be from 2010 to now, so that narrows it down a little bit. I kind of feel that taking the options is probably not going to help you. I mean, they're it'll at least narrow it down from, ten from 13 years to four, right? True. I'll take the options. Okay, 2015, 2016, 2018, or 2019? 2015, 2016, 2018, or 2019? Correct. This is a hard one. 2016. Correct. For a point. And that means you can have the bonus. How old was Max at the time? And I'm going to give you a clue. He was young. Okay. He was 24. Younger. He was 18. Oh, wow. Final round. Six or eight, Tom. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Six or eight, Tom. <laughs> Six, please. What does a blue flag mean in Formula One? Uh, faster car behind or you're being lapped. Correct, for two points. Joe, last chance. How many points is a driver awarded for winning a Formula One race? Well, if it's the same as Mario Kart, it's four. So I'm going to go with four. Okay. It may shock you to learn that <laughs> Formula One does not use the same scoring system <laughs> as Nintendo. <laughs> Actually, you get 25 points for winning a Formula One race. 25, get out of here. 
Uh, you, however, do get four points, which is better <laughs> than last week. So we're making progress. All right, but with good. 12 points, winning on a three to one ratio, Tom, congratulations. You have crushed. You are going to get that Sunday Million Anniversary ticket and the Poker in the Ears merch. Oh, thanks a lot. Sorry for choosing the very specific <laughs> topic. You guys are asking for uh, for not not films. I, I tell you, if we did a film quiz, I would uh, the scores would be reversed. I, you, I'm no, dude, awful. look, you 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 understood the assignment. You had good game <laughs> selection, and you managed to catch a topic that I know literally nothing about. Congratulations! I look, I'm happy when the super fans win. Um, <laughs> and you you picked a, you picked a subject that I had no no chance of being able to study ten years of history in. It, so you, you did great. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. I mean, I would have been entertained if you had spent, say, for example, the entire weekend really scrutinizing every single nugget of history from the last 13 years of Formula One. But nope. No. Uh, Tom, thank you very much. We'll be in touch to get your details. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Appreciate it. All right, my babies. We are just about out of time for this week's show. Coming up next time... We'll recap the Sunday Million 17th anniversary, both the tournament and our live stream. Hopefully, uh, we've got, uh, well, we will probably have a new uh, millionaire on the scene, as long as they don't make some kind of deal uh, that makes first place under a million. Uh, but hopefully, we'll get one of those uh, deep finishers, maybe even the winner. Who knows? We may not even know who the person is, but looking forward to that. 17th anniversary Sunday Million stream coming up on Tuesday. Recapped the following day. Also, our guest, the one that we definitely have lined up yeah. for next episode, is legendary music producer and engineer, two-time WSOP bracelet winner, Steve Albini. Steve's done Nirvana, James. He's done like a lot of these albums that people like claim changed their lives. So very interested to talk to Steve more about his career and uh, and how poker worked. And when when he started playing in my home game, um, I didn't really give him the respect he deserved either as a uh, person or a poker player. And it turns out he's pretty good at both. So really looking forward to talking to Steve. If you have questions for him, get them into the Discord. Uh, including whatever weird thing you're going to write, Kyle. I'm worried, but go for it. Yeah, of course, the link is in the podcast description. We are still taking superfan applications. Really thrilled, by the way, that someone nominated the war movie A Bridge Too Far, which I do consider to be one of the most overlooked, underrated films of oh. that genre. Um, Good. I was afraid you were going to laugh at me and be like, ah, <laughs> you got to watch A Bridge Too Far. It has an amazing cast. I believe William Goldman wrote the screenplay. In oh. fact, I think he talks about it in one of his books. And one of the challenges he faced, no spoilers, is that he almost had to tone down some aspects of the story because the truth was so ridiculous that he believed no one would believe it. Oh, wow. Cool. Well, I'm actually looking forward to that now. And that's so that's coming up next week. No, that's not next week. That'll be in, in several weeks. As I okay. said, we're getting people booked in well in advance. Great to see so many people enthusiastic about coming on the show to compete for prizes and nominate their specialist subject of choice. All right. You heard it here, kids. That is all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.